This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. This week, we're talking to Cassandra Perch. Cassandra, do you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. <laughs> now, we had you on episode 197 of JavaScript Jabber talking about Auth0, but it sounds like you've, uh, you're, you're doing some other stuff these days. Yes. Yes, I have moved on from Auth0. I am now a developer evangelist engineer, developer relations engineer for a company called IOPipe. And we do AWS Lambda monitoring and visibility. So I'm doing a lot in the serverless space. But I've maintained my uh, node botanist handle and maintained a lot of my IoT projects as well. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to dig into all of that stuff and, uh, you know, kind of get your story and see where you've been, see what you've worked on, and uh, hopefully give people an idea of of, you know, where you come from and what you're up to now. Mm -hmm. So let's just jump in and get started. And, you know, eventually we'll get to, you know, yeah, what you're doing now at, at IO Pipe and things like that. How did you get into programming? So um, it's a funny story. I got into programming without knowing I was getting into programming. Uh, when I was eight years old, I had a Game Boy and I did extra chores for three months to buy a Game Shark. Um, for those who don't remember the cartridge days, Game Sharks, are devices that used to sit between the cartridge and the actual gaming peripheral, and they would change uh, data going into the game so that you could cheat. Uh, essentially, it would take a memory address. So a, a cheat code itself would be a memory address and then a value you wanted to write to a memory address. So I learned how to write cheat codes because my favorite game didn't have any yet. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it turns out what it is, is I had to boot up an emulator, and then I had to change the attribute that I wanted to change with the game shark, and then tell the emulator, okay, show me all the memory addresses that have changed in the last half a second. And I do that over and over and over and over again, until I would find the exact address for the item I was trying to change. And then I would figure out the value that I wanted to put in there. So like, if it was 99 lives, I would make my character die, and then say, okay, how many uh, addresses have changed? And they make my character die again because it would give me like 10 or 20 on the first round. And then it would narrow down the more I did it until I had one address. And then I would give it the, the hex value of 99. So I learned hex. I learned memory addresses. Uh, my dad, who's an electrical engineer, kind of made, took advantage of it and taught me more about computer architecture. And then shortly after that, I found RPG Maker. And that really is what got me started into full-on programming. Um, it was point-and-click interface programming, um, but I made video games. And it was so amazing that I could, even at uh, the age of 10, make massive RPGs. Uh, and I learned if statements, for loops, conditionals, all that, doing that. So that's, the, that's really the dual, the dual ways I got started with programming. That's awesome. I didn't even know they had those. I had a Game Boy for years and years and years. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So, so you get into 
uh, hacking Game Boy, and then you know you, you move on to other things. Um, how did you go from sort of hacking on things and playing with things and doing some of the programming stuff to uh, being a professional, you know, uh, technical person or developer? Yeah, so um, I took a few CS courses in high school and was treated fairly poorly by my classmates. So I went into college majoring in chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to take CS 101 in order to get a chemistry degree. So I took my, my freshman year and halfway through my freshman year, I realized I was procrastinating and not going to class for chemistry, but that I was completing assignments early and early to class and ready and excited about computer science. So I realized that it wasn't the subject that had driven me away. It was, it was the behavior of my high school classmates. So uh, I ended up majoring in computer science. But what really got me into professional programming was a series of two things. One was I got a job as a PhD developer on my college campus. I wrote an application for the media department to help manage lab assistants, uh, software licenses. So things like Photoshop um, for the media majors. Uh, and managing equipment because they had tons of Mac towers and they needed to manage them all and make sure the inventory was kept. So I wrote a large PHP, MySQL, and JavaScript application to manage all that. Uh, that honestly was far more valuable than my college classes just because of uh, that practical application. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing was when I was in college, I met uh, Bradley Mack who started contributing to Node in the 0.2 days. So very early on in the project, I we were very good friends throughout college, and he uh, invited me to Austin JavaScript meetup. And that is really where my career started, is at Austin JavaScript. Um, I was speaking there within six months. Um, within a year of that, I got my first conference talk, and I had a professional job doing web development. So I have to really, I have to really attribute my, my career really starting to the community. Nice. That's awesome. Um, my my story's somewhat similar ish. I mean, I have a computer engineering degree, but the thing that really did it for me was, um, cause I, I thought that programming was like, you know, noodling around on these toy projects that they give you for CS. And, and so I didn't take it seriously. And then I built something that was real, right? I started working on a project at work to help manage tech support. And yeah, it was the same kind of thing. It was like, Oh, I get it now. You know, and then I started going to the users group meetings and things like that. And yeah, everything started to click into place. And I started meeting people and realizing that, oh, I can make contributions. And this is this is awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, what was it about JavaScript then that kind of captured your attention? You, you mentioned that you went to the the Austin meetup group. Um, you know, you, you were uh, associating with uh, Brian, who was working on Node. So, yeah. Or Bradley. What, or Bradley sorry. Yeah. It's fine. But what, what was it that made that connection in your head? You know what? JavaScript is where I want to work. You know, maybe not PHP or maybe not some of the other languages that you'd used in the past. You know, what was it that, that got you into JavaScript? That's, that's a really funny story. So I hated JavaScript when I went to the first Austin JavaScript meetup. I had only ever dealt with front-end, no framework, um, XHR requests, and it was <laughs> so hard to debug. This was right. back in 2000. Five, so browser browser debugging was not what it is today by a long shot, and so I just hated JavaScript. I hated thinking about it. I hated it. But then Node showed up, and for some reason, Node made JavaScript click for me. And so when I started programming Node, I started realizing, 
oh, hey, all these things I'm learning in computer science, in theory, I can apply in Node, I can apply in JavaScript. And then I reached the very practical um, assumption of, well, if I only have to know one language, to do both. <laughs> right. Uh, and so by the time I, I graduated college, I was using Node fairly regularly for my projects. And um, also, my front-end developer side had gotten less hateful because I learned about frameworks, I learned about jQuery, um, you know, all of these community tools. And I was really, when I exited college, in awe of, of the power of the open source community and the sheer will to do great things in the open source community. And it really inspired me to want to be a part of that. That's awesome. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I remember the bad old days before jQuery. <laughs> oh, the pain, right? Yeah. And yeah, just, you know, kind of coming up and, and yeah, realizing, hey, look, people make this for free. And it's really awesome. Well, it's, it's not just that they make it for free. It's that they make it out of a love for the, the craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks who wrote jQuery didn't obviously didn't do it to make money. They did it to make web developers' lives easier. And they did it to make websites better. And and that sheer passion and love that made them put hours and hours of their own time into it is really what drove me to JavaScript. It had, at the time, from where I stood, the strongest and most passionate open source community. And that, that truly is what pulled me into JavaScript. Nice. That that's That's really interesting to hear. I mean, you know, a lot of times we hear that, you know, it was the community that got me in or that it was this aspect of this uh, programming language or platform. And yeah, and for, for you, it sounds like it was it was the community, but it was the open source community and just the passion for things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So uh, what, what contributions have you made to JavaScript? That's one of the questions I usually ask um, or to open source or, you know, wh- wherever your contributions are. What are the things that you're most proud of? Um, I am most proud of being known for... So, so some people don't even actually know my real, my real name. Uh, they just know me as the node botanist. Uh, oh, really? And, yeah. I actually I was at an airport once, and this gentleman came up to me. And it was, it was 4 in the morning. And I just got in my coffee, and he comes up to me, and he goes, you're the node botanist. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's me. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've seen your work. I really like how you tell everybody that they can do this. I really like the edu- that you have a focus on education and bringing people into the community. I saw one of your community talks and I'm a white guy. And yeah, I felt a little bad, but it was still a good talk. <laughs> I was just staring at him holding my latte because it was four in the morning. I'm not a morning person. But looking back on it, that's what I'm proudest of. If all, if, if all I'm known for is not code, but instilling education and instilling the idea that anyone can be a maker and anyone can join this community and fighting for the right for everyone to join this community. Because as we both know, there are some hostilities uh, still in place for people to join this community who aren't, um, you know, uh, that are not the, what you would think of when you think uh, developer. So if I'm only known for that, that will be okay. That would be fine with me. But uh, I am also known for my open source contributions to NodeBots projects, including documentation and uh, soon some modules for Johnny Five. I've been contributing to AVR Girl recently. Um, I do a lot of conference talks about IoT and JavaScript. I'm on the Tetzel 2 open source board, so I help make open source decisions for the Tetzel platform. Um, 
yeah. So a lot of hardware on and node on hardware is what I'd be known for from a technical side. But but honestly, I think I'll be more remembered for trying to instill educational values, trying to instill the the idea that you are much more than your code, and trying to break down barriers for people who want to join the JavaScript community but are either afraid or have been scared out of joining. Right. That's awesome. That's that's really awesome. Um, I mean, what I'm I'm always curious about how people get to where they are, right? How people, um, you know, arrive at the place where it's like, you know, what this is this is where I'm going to contribute. And so, um, for one, you know, your community and education contributions. I mean, did you have a particular experience where you saw a need? Or were people just telling you their stories and you realized, you know what, some of these folks just need a, you know, a little bit of encouragement or a helping hand or, you know, to get these obstacles out of their way? Or what, what was it that got you there? That is a wonderful question. Um, it is a lot of things. So I am the daughter of a school teacher and, or well, child of a school teacher. And I, so I've always had a, an interest in education uh-huh. and growing up, uh, this isn't necessarily technical, but it had an effect on it. Um, growing up, I'm autistic, and my middle sister is autistic, and my mother specialized in teaching autistic children. And watching the way that the education system regularly fails autistic children mm-hmm. uh, instilled in me definitely the the need the need to seek out people who feel alienated and find a way to make them feel welcome. Okay. Uh, so that was instilled in me at a young age. And so when I came into tech, that came with me. That need to, to make sure everyone feels welcome in, in, in open source spaces. Um, because I, I felt that my whole life. Um, so for the, from the educational standpoint, I also think that's just in my blood. Uh, my mom's a teacher. And uh, she, she always told me that the best way to prove you know something is to teach it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me for a long time. And it really rang home. So um, one of my first projects was a light-up dress that premiered at JSCOM, I want to say 2014. I think and I heard about that. Yeah. Uh, there are a few pictures left of it. And I have several light-up clothes that I've made since then. And um, I remember feeling like I needed to change the way I presented myself when a bunch of people came up to me and they go, I, I wish I had the talent that you have to do that. And... And I, I, I kept telling him, oh, no, 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 this, this is completely something you can do. And I realized that part of that was I didn't have any documentation online about my project. I didn't have any code, any wiring diagrams. And, you know, that's really hard to, to figure out on your own. I had to figure it out on my own. And so I knew that. And so that's when I knew that I needed to focus on making sure that things that I do that inspire people to build their own things need to be documented. And I need to prove to people that, yes, you can do this, too. Because uh, I was able to do it, and here's what I learned. Because otherwise, we're just reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And um, someone once told me, I don't know why you're sharing all of this. Um, you could be making money if you light up clothes. And I said, I don't want money. I want to be not the only person at a conference and light up clothes. I want to run up excitedly to another person and light up clothes and go, oh my gosh, how did you do that? And we can learn from each other and build even better, greater things. Um, I don't really care about the money at that end. Like, I have a day job for that. But when it comes to my robotics and when it comes to serving the community, I think 
my my best role is an educational and I guess supportive role uh, through documentation, through helping people with their projects, and through um, making sure that information is freely available to everyone. Nice. Now, I, I think IoT is cool. I'm curious how how did you get into that? Like, what what was it about IoT and why do you feel like that's part of the place where you want to stake your claim and say, hey, I'm going to make a difference here? So part of that is uh, I just really like building robots. Um, that's definitely a part of it. But the story of how I realized I really like robots is uh, interesting. So my mother ran a science uh, program at her school, and they would use RoboLab. Uh, if you've ever used Lego Mindstorms, RoboLab is the predecessor to that. And um, so I would build Lego robots as a kid. And uh, I built an, an automatic dog ball thrower where the dog would put the ball in and it would throw the ball. And I made several projects over the summer because we would take the kids home for safe storage during the summer so I could play with them also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I, I kind of forgot about that um, for a while when I became a teenager. I forgot about my robotics roots, as it were. And um, But then I went to a NodeBots seminar at JSCOM 2013 with, with Raquel Velez and Rick Walter. And that changed my life. Um, I sat in that room for eight hours straight and I had an LED, an RGB LED that you could change the color of with a node server running on my laptop. And I was hooked. I was, I was, I bought, I bought $250 worth of kits that were there when I got home from JS Call. And (laughs) I decided I was going to build a light up dress. And and the very next year at JS Comp, I showed up in the first light up dress that I'd ever made. And that, that that's really what kindled my passion for IoT. Um, also, I work for what I call the light bulb moment. The moment where a student does something and they realize how it works and it all comes together and you can see it in their face. You can see that light bulb moment. IoT gives me the best light bulb moments I've ever seen. Um, I, t- I taught a workshop in at Dinosaur JS this year, and we went from 30 people who knew very little about electronics and very little about serverless, and at the end of the four-hour session, they had a Raspberry Pi that they could light up the LED from a serverless function running in the cloud, so they could control a robot that they built over the internet. And the the looks on their faces were just something that will stay with me forever, and they're even something I think. About when I'm feeling particularly down, because I think about that room full of people who thought, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'll go to this workshop, but I don't think I can do this." I actually had a couple of students say that, like, "I might, I might have to leave because I'm, I'm probably going to get lost." And just we, we all powered through it as a group, and we, no student walked out without finishing their robot, and it was such a warm and great feeling. And that, it's, it's events like that that, that keep me going even in the face of events that may not be the best or uh, times that don't look so great. Uh, you know, it's, it's events like that. That's awesome. That That's really great. And, you know, it's it's interesting because I've, I've taught a few workshops and things like that. And it, it's the same thing for me. I mean, just seeing somebody come in thinking there's no way I'm going to get this or I've tried <laughs> this before and it's just not going to happen. And then, you know, by the end, they're like, I can totally do this and I'm going to go spend, you know, 20 hours, you know, cause it just clicks in their head. It just, there, there's that thing that just connects for them. Yep. I, um, uh, I was crying three weeks ago. So I, I taught 
a an elective course, course sort of. It was an afternoon course at the um, I forgot the name of the boot camp in Denver. Uh, I'll have to put that in my pick so I can uh, remember it. Uh, uh, no, not Flatiron. That's anyway. Anyway, um, I'll remember it. Turing, Turing Academy. Turing School. Yeah. Yes, Turing School, and I taught an elective NodeBots course there. And one of the students ended up his final project was a garden monitor written entirely in Node. It monitored the moisture level. It turned. He actually got a valve uh, controller working, and it watered the plants when they needed it. And oh, that wow. was his final project at Turing Academy. And he showed me the schematics and the documentation and how we put it all up on GitHub, just like I said, like you know, so other people could build it. And I actually teared up a little bit, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually getting through to people that that." When they build something, it's not just how cool that is. It's what can I do? What can I? How can I use this to help others? And and sharing that and having someone else feel that same way is just it's, uh, it's such a great feeling. Nice. Now, one other thing that I'm going to dig into here really quick before we move on to the next question is um, you keep mentioning serverless. So is serverless kind of a means to an ends for you with IoT, or is there something in particular there that gets you excited? Yes. So the service is, is interesting on many fronts. Um, definitely one of them is not just IoT related, but just in general, um, awesome. And it's the fact that if you're willing to take on that extra level of abstraction, uh, for those, so serverless is kind of a new term and a new thing, so I'm going to do a little tiny explanation here. For those who don't know, serverless is, if there are servers, it's kind of a misnomer. Um, I also like to call it function as a service. And the uh -huh. reason I call it that is you write your function and you deploy it to a provider, um, AWS Lambda, Microsoft Azure Function, uh, Google Cloud Function, uh, Kubeless, there are open source um, options such as Kubeless and um, Apache OpenWorks. Mm -hmm. And then you get a URL back and you can run your function in cloud. So instead of having to set up a server and a URL and then your function, you just write the code, hit deploy, and you can call your function to the top. So that's great from a developer standpoint because it allows developers to not have to worry about operations and uh, infrastructure as much. Of course, there are trade but still. Right. Uh, they can write code and question it. I think it's great for IoT specifically because it scales really well with IoT. And because of the way IoT makes sporadic connections with not a ton of data, serverless is great for that model. As opposed to EC2 where you've got a server running all day and it might get like 10 requests. Mm -hmm. With Lambda, it only runs when you it, it only boots up when you need it, so it'll only boot up the 10 times you So there I actually wrote an article on the IO pipe blog that goes much more into detail about it, but IoT and serverless are definitely best friends in terms of uh, infrastructure and usage. But serverless is also a very interesting front for all developers. Yeah, definitely. I, we just did an episode on serverless on JavaScript Jabber. And so, oh, cool. you know, as this is released... I'll check that out. Yeah, I think it'll come out a week or something before this episode. So. Oh, well, I'll check that out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, this month as we speak, it's in December. So... Yeah, um, and it, it's really, really interesting. I've done some things with uh, AWS Lambdas, and um, you know, I, I definitely see the, you know, the appeal from the sense of, um, you know, the the IoT space because yeah, um, you know, you you do the processing that you can locally, and then anything else you can offload without having to set up a full on app on the other end. Exactly. 
you can offload or onload as much as you want from your IoT device to the Lambda. Yeah. So uh, the next question that I have is, what are you working on now? So right now, I am putting a lot of attention towards the ABR Girl library. So um, ABR Girl is a node replacement for ABR Duke, which is a library that flashes child uh, C code to ABR chips. So uh, Suze Hinton, uh, Luke Cat on Twitter, she's amazing. She's the head of the project. And um, I'm, I'm also working on ABR firmware to test a, a piece of reverse engineering equipment called Plus Pirate, which is really handy for reverse engineering hardware chips. And so I'm writing a firmware in ABR, and I wanted to use ABR Girl to flash firmware, but I found a couple bugs. So I just jumped in and I started patching bugs. And now uh, I'm going to be helping Suze rewrite some of it. Uh, we're going to be redoing the unit test, things like that. And so I've been putting a lot of time and effort into that. A lot of time and effort into um, expanding my skill set, learning a lot about Bluetooth and RFID. Just kind of got a little bit of educational wanderlust, as it were. And so I'm building uh, node libraries for the FC522 RFID chipset. And uh, that works with the Nintendo Amiibos, which is why I picked it, because I love those little Amiibos. Nice. And if I could do a robot demo with Amiibos, that would make my day. <laughs> and uh, I'm working with, uh, I, I'm going through the code in Noble and, and Blino, which are the Node uh, Bluetooth peripheral and client libraries, and learning how those work and seeing how that works um, to learn more about Bluetooth. That, that's super cool. <laughs> Um, is there a place where people can go to find out more about that? So, um, if you'd like to learn more about my work, um, my username is NodeBotanist on GitHub, and so you can see all my repositories there. I, I try to keep uh, tons of documentation and tons of things so you can replicate what I'm working on or at least see what I'm working on. Uh, if you want to learn more about AVR Girl, um, it's in my pics, so the URL will be with this video. Um, NoobCat's uh, GitHub account as the AVR Girl project, and I highly suggest you check that out if you work with AVRs. Um, and then to learn more about robotics and JavaScript in general, uh, if you've never done robotics with JavaScript, I would go to johnny-5.io um, and work with the Johnny5 library. That would be where I could start. Very cool. Um, yeah, and so you you, uh, you post to Node Botanist, you or yeah, you so you have Node Botanist on GitHub. You have Node Botanist on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a blog or anything else that people can go yes. and check out? Yes, I am Node Botanist on Medium. <laughs> awesome. I, I am Node Botanist everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's a username that's not normally taken. So everywhere from Blizzard to uh, GitHub to everything, I'm I am the I'm Node Botanist. Uh, my domain is even Node Botanist with a dot st. So. Oh, nice. So if it's got the Node Botanist label, it's most likely me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, how did you come up with Node Botanist? So that's funny. Uh, I love puns. I, I absolutely do. And about two years ago, we were discussing what to call Node Botters. We settled on Node Botters. Um, and I came up with the idea of botanists because botany, study of plants, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and it was just a pun. And at the time, they were like, oh, I don't, I don't think so, but that should be your handle. Like, a lot of people were like, that suits you. And I'm like, okay. So I went from being Cassandra Perch on every on all the platforms to a botanist, and it just stuck. 
And like I said, now some people don't even know me as Cassandra. They know me as Nude Botanist. So. <laughs> Very cool. Now, one last thing before we do the picks. Um, <laughs> when you, we had you on the podcast, it, we were talking about Auth0. Um, it looks like you've now moved on to IOPipe. I think you mentioned that it you know, does some tracking for AWS Lambdas. Uh, do you want to kind of give us like the, the two-minute um, elevator pitch for this and then also just explain what your role is there? Oh, of course. So IOPipe gives you a an extremely adaptable view into your AWS Lambda functions. So we trace invocations, cold starts, errors. We do custom alerts and monitoring. Um, we do tracing. We do... Uh, so basically you can get either the 10,000 foot view via our dashboard or you can drill down into each and every invocation of your AWS Lambda function so you can know exactly what's going on in your AWS Lambda app. Um, installation is as easy as wrapping your Lambda functions in a call to IO pipe. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a great tool for figuring out when things are going right and what's going wrong if it is. Awesome. Very cool. And and so what you do there is just developer relations. So you help people figure out how to get it set up. So with such a small company, I am wearing many hats. I do most of the content production for IOPipe's blog and our videos and going on podcasts like this and doing conference talks. I also do work with customers sometimes to talk about okay, how are you using the life? Uh, how are you using our product? How can we make it better for you? Um, but Mostly right now, my job is to get our name out there. We are still a small company and we're still growing. So it's more on the marketing side of things right now than actively interacting with developers. Mm -hmm. But as we grow bigger and as more people know who we are, um, that role will start to shift into interacting with the developers that use us. Very cool. All right. Well, the last uh, part of this is the picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. And yep. you were on the show a while back. Um, you told me you had picks ready. So why don't you go ahead and share what you want to shout out about? Yes. So um, one, I'd love to give a shout out to Suze Hinton. She is an inspiration for a lot of my work and uh, we work on a lot of things. She streams on Twitch every Sunday uh, at twitch.tv slash noobcat. And she's noobcat on Twitter. And she also maintains the AVR Girl Project, which is my second pick. And that's at github.com slash noobcat slash AVR Girl. And my third pick is, I, I, I got to go with the classic. Well, it's, it's not even just the classic. Johnny Five. Um, if, you're, if you're at all interested in getting 
into IoT with, with Node, I would look at johnny-5.io and get started there. As for serverless, um, of course, shout out to IOPipe because pay me. Um, and uh, a shout out to the serverless framework. They are really, really making it more and more easy to work with Lambda functions and not just Lambda functions, but serverless functions across all platforms. And so a shout out to them as well. And I'll, uh, of course, the links will be provided uh, so you can see those for yourself. Very cool. Um, I'm going to do a few uh, shout outs myself. If you're looking to get into serverless, um, now I haven't really looked at AWS Lambda integrations for it, but Visual Studio Code is written by Microsoft and they have an Azure uh, plugin for it that if you're looking at getting into writing this and deploying it nicely, um, they they have all of that kind of worked out for Microsoft Azure. And oh, wow. uh, I've, I've seen it in action. It's really cool. Um, and it works from your text editor. Um, nice. Now, I, they keep sending me out to their events, and that's where I see this going. But um, it's, it's really cool stuff. So uh, Visual Studio Code and the Azure plugin are, are two of my picks. And then um, most of my serverless stuff actually has been on AWS Lambda. And um, their interface for AWS is not my favorite thing in the world. Um, and setting up... Uh, AWS Lambda functions was also kind of tricky. Uh, the best way that I found is actually the serverless, uh, I, I, what is it, a library, utility? Framework. Yeah, framework? that was my piece too, the serverless framework. The one that allows you to use the CLI to yep. deploy. Yeah, that's them. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, I, you know, they're, they're awesome and they're a really easy way to get started. So Yeah, and they're multi-platform. You can use them with AWS, Microsoft, Google. You yep. Can, yep. And a double shout out for Visual Studio Code. I, I use that as my day-to-day editor, and it is—it's getting better every day. I, I love VS Code. <laughs> nice. If you're—if you want to learn more about Visual Studio Code, I should also mention that uh, in November, uh, Microsoft had me come out to their uh, Microsoft Connect event, which is mostly for their uh, vendors and enterprise partners, but. Since all of their technical experts are there, they brought out a bunch of podcasters so that we could interview their people. And so the two interviews that if you're interested in Visual Studio Code, you might want to hear. Uh, I did one interview with Amanda Silver. And uh, we talked about TypeScript and the, the language service that works behind the scenes with Visual Studio Code. And she's over the team that builds Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code, among other things. Um, she, she manages that whole department. And so uh, we, we did dig in quite a bit on Visual Studio Code and how it works. And then uh, the other interview that we did was with uh, PJ Meyer and Chris Dias. Um, and Chris is kind of the, the head guy over Visual Studio Code itself. Uh, PJ is their uh, project manager, product manager. I can't remember what the right term is. But anyway, so we talked about the roadmap. We talked about uh, how it's built, how it's designed, how the team runs and all of that stuff. So if you're interested in kind of the how, how the sausage is made to get you Visual Studio Code, uh, definitely check out those interviews. And we'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Yeah, I, I will definitely be listening to those. I'm, I'm very interested to see how that all goes down. Yep. All right. Well, um, anything else that you want to mention before we wrap this up? Um, I know I've implied it a bunch of times, but anyone who's listening, if you want to try robotics, you want to try making something with JavaScript, nothing's stopping you. You can do it. 
you have all the skills you need. And for any questions you have, feel free to ask me and feel free to ask the NodeBots community because we are happy to answer your questions and we love seeing your projects. I'm so tempted to go and like not just do it, but do it with my girls. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Um, build them light up dresses and have them help me. I think that would be fun. <laughs> if you need any tips at all, please let me know. I have, I have dealt with lighting up so many pieces of clothing. I can help you avoid the biggest pitfalls. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I may circle back to you here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, Cassandra. This has been really interesting to just dig into. I hope you have a good time at CubeCon. I think I said that right. Yep. And, um, Yeah, we will uh, catch you and everybody else next week. You have a lovely afternoon. You too. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.
For you, the listeners of my JavaScript story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.